1: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey.
0: And I'm Robert Diamond,
1: And this is Talk Art.
0: Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling liminal. And actually, I don't think you can really describe yourself as feeling liminal, but you know me. I like to shake things up, <laughs> be a bit of a rebel, especially mm. when it comes to words. No, not really. But basically, I am feeling like I exist in a liminal space. And It's actually something I was thinking a lot about recently because in the journey through life people when I was growing up I had a friend called Isabel who was almost like a sister to me and she always used to go like this phase that you're going through is this and then like this phase is this and today's guest has curated the most amazing exhibition in London at Gagosian, and it's called Rites of Passage. A lot of their work to this point in their career has been looking at ideas of like liminal theory as as one sort of thread within what, what, what they're kind of looking at. It really got me thinking about that Whole journey through life, kind of, you know, when you're born, there's people kind of throw an event for the baby being born, and then when you reach puberty, often in different religions, you might have, you know, something to mark that, almost like sweet a traditional, sixteen
1: or a bar Yeah, exactly.
0: And then yeah. when you get married, and then when people die, and there's kind of all these ceremonies. And the thing that's really interesting is it kind of transcends boundaries within culture, and and it, it becomes this kind of international, global kind of phenomenon in a way, the way that we all mark these points in our life. And I think it's such a beautiful thing to think about. And when I used to make music, I used to think a lot about that point in creativity between falling asleep and waking up. And I know a lot of people keep kind of like dream diaries or like, you know, trying to remember what their dreams were. And I was always really interested in this idea of the subconscious and the space between waking up and being asleep, but also the space between creating something so the kind of times that you might feel quite bored as such it's a horrible word boredom but it uh, Carl always says boredom doesn't exist but but there's this kind of useful time in between things when you're when you're kind of at the threshold of something new or transition between different parts of your life and and I, as I get older I'm now 42 I think it's a it's a real thing when you look back and um, today's guest is also an amazing writer poet they, they've been a curator at the Tate they've just done so many extraordinary things so far and they're so young and the funniest thing is we're also very connected because so many of our previous guests are friends and some of them are even in this show Mm -hmm. so I've often heard about this curator and I'm so thrilled to finally get to speak with her so we would like to welcome to talk art Peju Oshu hi
2: guys (laughs) I love that Um, I'm good how are you both
1: we're good. That good, was a huge you. intro, Rob. Sorry. I, you gave us all the information. I know. There.
0: I'm just, it's just, I, I don't know why, Peju, but it, it, it gets me so deep. Or the way that you think about things, even your writing, like your poetry and like the way you curate, I just feel like it's so deep. Thank you.
1: Well, let, I mean, let's go straight in then for people listening. Liminal theory, liminal space. What exactly is that? And how does that? convert itself into the way that you practice your art?
2: Well, I suppose the story starts in South London, um, because I'm a South Londoner. Um, But I suppose for me growing up, um, I'm Nigerian, my parents are Nigerian, but I was born here. And so that is the starting point of thinking about liminality. Um, and I suppose for me at the time, I didn't really have that language and language is something which has become really important to me. So at that first point, when I was thinking about um, what does it mean to exist in the way that I do um, to be who I am, I was thinking about this idea of duality. Um, but then as I continue to develop, you uh, in having more conversations with friends, but also having these conversations through the context of my professional space. Uh, The language changed and I stumbled upon upon this phrase of liminality and started to do a little bit of digging. And I felt that that was so much more apt uh, because the duality is really uh, a binary. And I think that there is so much more that goes into us. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, I think you can exist in a multitude of ways when you are occupying that liminal space so that's kind of how I've got there and I'm really enjoying uh, moving through and exploring and asking lots of questions in and around that
1: so liminal kind of means limitless like undefined by a certain like binary as you were saying
2: yeah, it's it's that and thinking about this, I think for me, this constant state of transition, um, which you've kind of pointed to already. Um, and I see life as being this one big transition. So as soon as you come into the world and you take your first breath, you're constantly going through change. And I suppose, um, yeah, change is the only thing that we can be certain of. So I'm really interested in what that journey looks like and how we respond to it as such.
1: Exciting. So, Rob, no, so, so you've now curated this exhibition at Gagosian, as Rob said, called Rites of Passage. What was it like? This is your debut curatorial exhibition, right? So congratulations at like Thank one you. of the biggest galleries in the world, an incredible space on Britannia Street in London. This is an, an amazing uh, exhibition that you have brought together. You brought together 19 artists with shared histories of migration, When did this sort of evolution happen? How did they approach you? What is your association with the Gagosian? And what has it been like?
2: Gosh, that's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I suppose I've now been at the Gallery since September 2022. uh, So I can still say that I'm new, I think. Um, But I think for me, I'd been at the Tate for about four and a half years, which was really amazing uh, starting my career I suppose, on a full-time basis there and working with so many amazing colleagues. But I think for me, I was really interested in how I could work with artists over a longer period of time. Uh, So I suppose my transition, again, from kind of the context of the institution into the commercial space was through conversation um, and sharing those uh, desires or interests and thinking about working with artists over a longer period of time. And I think for me, it was really about being open to the conversation around what the possibilities could be, because I'd never thought about working in that space before. Um, So we had lots of conversations and thinking about what my role would be at the gallery um, and kind of whether or not I suppose we would see each other because uh, it's kind of like a little bit of pre-dating maybe. Um, and then it <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it felt like it would be the best or a good fit, shall I say, um, in me joining the gallery um, and having this focus on artists from London, but also thinking about artists from the global majority uh, and how they are in dialogue uh, with one another. So that's that's how we get to this point. And I'm, I'm here at the gallery now.
1: So, so do, is this like gallery job? You have to go in every day. You have to check in, and Larry Gagosian has to see that you've walked in the door. Or, <laughs> what, what is? How is this role? Is your your associate? What is your what is your title there? You're just yes. an associate. Associate director.
2: Um, associate Director. I, I suppose I don't know what that really means. Um, I don't think it's super important. You're I think, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's. there we are. (laughs) I think that's a great way to put it. Um, (laughs) um, I suppose, yeah, it's me working with these artists um, from London, but globally and thinking about ideas and thinking about shows. This has been my first show, which we've just done. Um, And yeah, I think it's something which is also evolving. So I've kind of given those. Uh, initial parameters of what I'm interested in. And so for me, again, I'm really interested and also invested in the journey going forward to see how this world continues to adapt. And I think having that bit of fluidity is really great. And so I do go into the gallery, uh, quite regularly. Well, mm. yeah, I suppose, especially over the past couple of months, it's been an every day, sometimes a six days, uh, in a week, um, going into the gallery. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been, really interesting being in this space and kind of meeting new colleagues and seeing the ways in which they work with artists and how they're also really dedicated to the people that they're working with.
0: How how did the show come together? So um, how did you choose these artists? Because there's so many people that i've known and i've never seen them side by side before which was such a joy like um we've spoken to so many of the people actually yes like adelaide Demoa. Um, yes i've actually uh, done a show in margate with with nm gabawanyo and um also michaela you Dan was on the podcast and Sharon all kinds of Waters, nengi amoku yeah. and alexandria smith i love because she's yes. at the royal academy and i'm um, sorry the, the royal college of art and and julian knox is in our next show like there's so many uh, the i loved it <laughs> so cool
2: Um, So I suppose how all of these people came about being in uh, this one space is because I felt like it was important for them to be in dialogue uh, with one another. These are all people who, I suppose, have played a significant role in my career um, over the past seven years or so um, and thinking about, I suppose, maybe the first time that I encountered their work or... The first time that we started to work together and I suppose in thinking about these ideas of liminality or liminal space the majority of these artists we've been in conversation about that we've had lots of actually very crazy long conversations which kind of go off into a bit of a weird rabbit hole but those are the types of conversations that I really always enjoy Um, but again for me it was really about wanting to do something different because I think it's very easy to uh, put artists who are constantly in dialogue with one another um, in that space that's a a really easy approach to take but I wanted to do something slightly different in broadening out that dialogue um, and especially with this idea of 19 artists which is quite a lot it's quite ambitious Um, but really wanting to see if that was possible and if it resonated with people. Um, And it has done, so I'm really glad uh, that it's worked out this way.
1: It's been a huge success. So, So in layman's terms, for people listening, what is the curator's job? What does a curator actually do?
2: Oh my god, that's um, it's a big job. I'd say. Um, it, I'd say there's a lot of admin. Um, so it's being an administrator, um, especially with
0: 19 artists. Yeah. Absolutely, oh, that's a lot of work.
2: <laughs> it is. Um, and I suppose it's also, I would say, a lot of listening. Really, um, I think to be a good curator, you should be able to listen uh, to what the artist is saying um, but also at the same time being a facilitator and I think I suppose aside from that to go to the Latin meaning of it which is to care for there's a lot of care which is involved and so um, I think that idea of care is something which is really central to my practice and really um, I suppose especially while I was still at Tate that was a huge part of what I was doing and thinking about audiences the artists that we worked with but also maybe my colleagues so people that I line manage or people that I worked uh parallel to that is a huge part of the role um and, yeah, I suppose to go back to the idea of facilitating, I, I had all of these um, smaller conversations or did all these studio visits and I was just like, right, OK, so what are we doing next? Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's also a level of trust which is involved in that as well, um, in trusting the ideas that these people have. Um, in enjoying the practice and knowing that, okay, it's eventually going to work itself out. It can be a little bit scary at times for maybe people on the outside of that process. And they're like, okay, I'm not quite sure what's going on. But for me, I always try to, um, again, center trust and care in the process um, and know that it's eventually going to work itself out. So um, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, that's my process as such.
1: Did you have pressure on yourself uh, for like your debut curatorial show with the Gagosian was there like an anxiety that you were like oh my god this is terrifying
2: uh strangely enough I didn't um I thought that I might do but I think again I had to really trust in the artists and I suppose the conversations that we had been having and knowing how important those conversations were and needing to be heard by people, more people than uh, us in that room initially having that conversation. So, uh, you know, I think I always, I always uh, try to take the approach of okay, if I stress, what is that actually going to achieve? Um, and not a lot, you know. It's just a couple of slee- sleepless nights, which is not great for my skin, <laughs> and also, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not great for the artist as well. Because if you are that point of contact, and again, if you were supposed to be that person who is in a position of care, you automatically pass on that kind of nervousness or anxiety to those
0: people that you're working yeah, you're with. You're the so.
1: anchor. You're the anchor that everyone's kind of tying themselves to so you've got to be a rock (laughs)
0: when when, when you think of putting on a show like that that big because this is the Britannia street space which for those who don't know is Gagosian's um King's Cross kind of location which is a really giant space like and they've had huge shows there before like giant Jonas Wood shows where he made those giant massive paintings and like Picasso and kind of all kinds of shows there that have just been extraordinary but um What's it like when you take on a space like that? Because it was obviously this this huge kind of white cube, and you've transformed it using this really gorgeous kind of blue like deep, rich, I don't even know what colour exactly it is, but it's this deep, rich <laughs> blue. And I feel like even the precision of the framing and the kind of, like if you think of Julian Knox, for example, I know from personal experience, like you have to really make sure those films are installed in exactly the right, you know, dimensions and even the seating and all of these things. Like, so what what was that like for you and why the colour blue?
2: Yeah, um, so I think you're right. Architecturally, um, it's... I suppose it's a challenge, and it's also not a challenge because it's such a huge space and I suppose the right. last show that was in there is um or was the Damien Hirst Natural History show, and I remember going to that on the opening before I joined the gallery um and really thinking, gosh, um once everything was out, she's just like this is huge, and I remember how long it took me to walk from one end uh, <laughs> to the other. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, this is I was just like, okay, I'm still going, I'm still going, um but I suppose for me, having a background in architecture and design really worked well for me in this um, circumstance. So I designed the space in thinking about what I wanted it to look like. And I pulled from so many references and I suppose um, I suppose, the blue specifically, which I'll, I'll speak to, is... A reference for me, I'm wearing blue right now, as you can see i'm a I'm a big fan of blue <laughs> <laughs> uh just to say that, but um Again, for me being Nigerian and very specifically of Yoruba heritage, um, we have uh, something called Adire, which is a kind of fabric which is cotton and um it's used the wax print, but also an indigo dye. And so for me that was a reference point in thinking about um something that I was familiar with, but also I thought about very practically in that blue is often symbolic of the sky but also the sea and thinking about the two points at which is going to see meeting as being a liminal space Mm. um (laughs) yes um but then also i thought about um the marjarelle gardens and that blue and how um fantastic that is seeing that what is that um in morocco um when in marrakech uh so uh Yves Saint Laurent's um garden there it's this beautiful beautiful blue and so i thought about that and kind of my visits there and how much I enjoyed that as a space. But also I thought a lot about uh, lapis lazuli as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the idea of that being something which provides a lot of clarity, um, kind of, and enhances the thought process. So there are lots of things that I was pulling from when I was thinking about these ideas of blue. And it wasn't easy to get to. I had about seven samples of blue on the wall that all looked slightly similar to each other <laughs> um, but I eventually got there um, but also I suppose I'll say with the transparent elements as well that you have um, the transparent walls in the show for me that was the reference to a show that I'd seen at Victoria Miro and Doho Su. and I remember how much seeing that show really impacted me because of course for me and thinking about the liminal i've always been obsessed with these ideas of home and kind of that as a reference point but also um an annie alba's show as well that was at take a couple of years ago so there were lots of things that i was pulling from um which i felt uh signal to this idea of the liminal and being able to see across and through um and kind of yeah giving all of the artists their space but also still keeping this continuous flow through it also
1: can you remember the first gallery you visited because you grew up in south london in the 90s yes can you remember when you first walked into like a museum and a commercial gallery
2: Um, it's funny because, uh, the first gallery, um, or museum that I walked into was actually Tate, I think. And I don't remember it, but there is just, I do just have this photograph of, um, kind of me and a group. So I was in year six at the time. Um, so there's a photograph of an ice cream van on the South Bank and just the top of like my head and another friend's head. So I know that we went there, but I can't remember... The full details of the visit and what that was like, um, but I suppose maybe more vividly after that, um, I'd say going to the v and um, was probably oh. my real first memory. You went straight in moving. at the top
1: for them too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, most definitely. Um, so. <laughs>
1: You've always yeah,
2: aimed I, high, you've always aimed high. I, I have, I have. Um, unintentionally, I th- I think maybe those things just, you know, come into your environment, um, yeah, yeah. subconsciously. But yeah, those are kind of the two first uh, points that I can remember. And um, yeah, commercial gallery, I, I don't know. I can't really recollect, I think. No, I think it was probably one of those weird shops um, in Shoreditch High Street, you know, those kind of yeah. weird art shops. Probably one
0: of those. <laughs> <laughs> no offence to yeah. anyone. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like an art store yeah Yeah. okay yeah cool you know I really wanted to talk to you actually you mentioned you have a history in architecture and I know you you academically like studied architecture and design and um that was something that I was struck by by this show because like like you're talking about the installation of it I feel like you have a very unique approach to space and place and um it got me thinking a bit about artists we've interviewed before like Torquoise Dyson and I mean there's so many different artists who, who are looking at um kind of the way that space is constructed both socially um, within society, but also within art and exhibitions. And I just felt like the way you've installed it is very particular. And I wondered if it was because of that understanding of architecture and how important that still is to you.
2: Um, Architecture is still hugely important to me. Um, I think I really, again, love the language of architecture uh, both kind of physically but also in the written word. Uh, So for me in thinking about how people navigate through that space I really wanted to create a sense of journey. Uh, So kind of yeah again it takes a really long time to get from one end to the other. Um, (laughs) I really wanted to um, ensure that thinking about this idea of transition that it really felt like people going from one thing to the next um but also that it made sense at the same time um so yeah i think in thinking about the hang uh i suppose i think particularly about adelaide's work and because in that she's dealing with uh her kind of very direct family history those images Uh, you know, the earliest images from the 1800s and it's her great-great-grandma, great-grandma, grandma, grandma, mother and her in those images. I wanted to ensure that that felt like a kind of um, family hang. So something you'd see in your living room because it is very personal in that way. Um, So there are kind of little things that um, I was thinking about throughout that process to ensure that, um, yeah, there was... It didn't just feel like, okay, this is worked by 19 people and it's just hung in this space, but actually there's something that you can draw on which feels really familiar to you in that space. So, yeah, that was my
1: approach. So you, you started working the visual arts in 2015, I've uh, read, on your website. Yes. What What was your first steps into that and how did you enter the visual arts?
2: Okay, um, So I first entered the visual arts after, so I suppose after I graduated, I worked um, for some small design companies, which was interesting. Uh, (laughs) Again, in thinking about paint samples, some of those kind of very early jobs were me painting kind of eight versions of Dulux White on these small tabs, uh, which all looked... Very similar, but had slightly different <laughs> tints to them um so that you know I was doing that work, and actually I was working on a lot of residential projects, which uh I think became very boring for me very quickly uh, because it was so monotonous it was the same thing over and over again Um, and so I ended up quitting that job I didn't have anything planned afterwards uh, which was really terrifying actually uh, doing that and not having a clue of what I was going to do next but I kind of then stumbled upon this uh, advert I think it was maybe on um, arts jobs, and it was um, a call out for young people uh, <laughs> to kind of join this volunteer project at the London Transport Museum. Um, the project, I think, was going to last for about six weeks. And I suppose what attracted me to that was that they were looking at city planning and architecture. So at the London Transport Museum, they've got this huge... It's a common
1: garden, um, isn't it?
2: Yes, yes. Um, So they've got this huge 1 to 1,500 scale model of London and so they wanted to update all the new London architecture uh, from the past 10 years at that time. So obviously that was just like, great, this is still slightly connected. Um, I've never worked in a museum before, but that was my entry point in doing that six-week project to which they then uh, set up their first uh, young freelancer uh program which was aimed at getting more young and diverse people working in the museum sector, so the really wonderful woman who was running that six week program said, "I think you'd be great, you should definitely apply for this and i did um and that's kind of the start of my story working in museums really.
1: what is arts? jobs is that an actual website that's still yeah. going now is it yeah, i've never yeah. even heard of that
0: yeah well if we're advertising for a job at the gallery even for like front desk or anything you can put it on there like if you need text or and um i think it might even be backed by somebody like not the arts council but British it council is oh it is it's yeah, the arts council about. yes it's yeah. the arts council yes so it's almost like a publicly run thing it's really I didn't even,
1: that's fantastic for everybody listening that wants to get into yeah. the art somehow to know that there's job opportunities via this website
0: for sure. Yeah. It's the first yes. I've heard about
1: that. That's amazing. <laughs> so we, we mentioned the Tate, obviously. We went to, you went to the Tate and you had an ice cream. You can't remember the exhibition when you first went there. <laughs> you, ended up, you ended up working there uh, for from 2018 to 2022. Yes. And you were working within this sector where audience engagement and, and is a major drive in all the projects that you approach. So Absolutely. getting a job at the Tate, I mean, what was that like? And your role there was so uh, like varied and exciting.
2: Um, yes, it was. So I suppose that was really exciting, actually, to get a job there because um, I have always been of the thought that you know, art in those spaces belongs to everyone because we're all taxpayers. So um, for me, who had grown up locally in the area, um, I was really excited to go and work there because I I knew so many people that I perhaps grew up with or went to school with who had never gone to the Tate or never gone to um, the Imperial War Museum, even though all of those things were in walking distance of where we lived. So I was really excited uh to join and to be part of the conversation and supporting more young people uh to engage with that space um and yeah it was i think it was a little bit daunting at first if i'm being honest uh but i suppose in thinking about why i was doing that work uh i really settled into it and just yeah, I was really excited by the people that I was working with and having conversations with them. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of, uh, I suppose, that that entry point for me.
1: What was your and role, actually, though? Sorry, what
2: You was
0: were the curator role? at yeah. one point for the Young People's Programme, weren't you? Right. Which, I was. Which was kind of engaging um, young people who may not have had formal education in the arts. And I yes. I was really struck by that because I feel like that's quite an interesting... Uh, almost like foundation stone in your now journey because Mm. even the show you've curated is a lot of emerging sort of not even mid-career yet they're they're kind of new voices and while some of them obviously are getting very well known um, on all different kind of areas of the art world they're still super young people and I kind of love that about what you're doing because you're you're kind of helping young people but when it comes to education like how important was that as as part of the role because it's such a great way to educate people I think you know to bring people into museums
2: Yes, um, I think super important. So actually, um, I think while I was at Tate, I maybe had in total about four or five different job titles. So I actually...
1: (laughs) What were they? (laughs) List them. What were
0: they? (laughs) Yeah, list them out. Oh, my God. (laughs)
2: Um, So, funny enough, when I first started, I started on a maternity leave cover, so I was never meant to be there that long. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So I first started as um, an assistant curator of resources within their schools and teachers team. And I think uh, that team has a really important role to play because that is, of course... um, any young person's first touch point if their parents don't take them to kind of Tate or to an art museum so it's a hugely important role so I did that um and then I kind of got extended and then the next role that I think I had was assistant curator um of uh I can't remember. oh assistant curator of assembly so we did this large-scale project where we had um 1500 young people or school age young people come in and take over the Blavatnik building and the turbine horse. I did that, which was like a three month project. And then my next role. (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy. Um, but also really exciting. Um, then the role that I had after that was assistant curator, schools and teachers, just. Just that. Um, and then, yes, and then I became <laughs> curator of Young People's Programme. So that was kind of within, I think, the first 18 months that I had all three of those wow. roles. Um, so was, someone just
1: come in and go, we're changing your title today, get used to it. You're like, i have just printed up the badges. i have just <laughs> class. You're like, oh God, scrap that, next one.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think there was, there was a little bit of that maybe. Um, no, I'm joking. Um, I suppose they... I think luckily they really liked me and they wanted to keep me on, so they were just like, "Okay, let's see what we can do," and yeah. um, gave me these kind of job titles afterwards. Um, so yeah, I mean the education piece is really important, and so in that role of curator of young people's programs, we of course had this um, take collective. Uh, strand which is a huge part of the work that I was doing and for me felt really close to home because of course I got my start working in a sector on a young people's program so kind of the Tate Collective producers are young people who have uh, I suppose directly recruited from four London boroughs which are kind of local to Tate um, and age between 16 to 25 and as you said um, probably are maybe the first in their family to go to university or kind of any number of other kind of criteria which is set out but um, for me it was really really great to work in that role because I always love hanging out with young people um, because I think they're hilarious they've got (laughs) I think they always bring something really interesting um, to a space but also thinking about how you support and nurture so again to thinking about what you've just said in the show and that some of these voices in the show are slightly more emerging. I'm always interested in how you can support people or again, facilitate uh, the development of somebody. So yeah, hugely important um, for me being in that role and using that as a means of continuing my curatorial practice,
1: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare Short-Term Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh one.com. Say? Um, support and nurturing feel yeah very important to you. And in, in 2020, you was a visiting critic for the Royal College of Art, which I know is something that Rob has done. And that's something that is incredibly supportive, and incredibly nurturing. But you must feel um, an anxiety for the students that you don't want to scare them. You want to give them enough information. You don't want to make them feel anxious about going out into the professional world. What what was that like for you being a visiting critic?
2: Um, I think that was a really great experience for me, actually, because I... I suppose previous to the, previously to that I had done a teaching qualification and had been teaching at Central St Martin so again it's really um important to me to have this direct conversation with students in sharing what the real world is like because I think for me um and especially moving into a role of being an educator I always felt that it was really important to share that because often when you're studying you're told okay go big do this do that and actually on the other side of it um, as I said with uh, kind of a lot of these roles there's actually a lot of admin and then people don't tell you about that and so I think it's very easy for people to become disillusioned with the thing that they thought that they were in love with just because they haven't been given the full scope of what kind of life is like. Like beyond uh, I suppose the safety net of the educational environment where you have contact time with your tutors where you are working on these really amazing projects so um, I really wanted to be in that role of still encouraging but also giving a broader perspective of what you know things are actually like on the other side of that.
1: Do you think that's missing from like art education do you think there's things that could be improved or that need to be looked at when you're going around and you're visiting as a critic and also in your career is there something that needs to be put in place
2: um I think the thing that I perhaps always advocate for is uh for staff to also be currently practicing i know it's it's it can be quite difficult but i think there is definitely something in having um a lecturer or tutor who is currently uh who still has a current practice because i think again it's really difficult for students who of course will love their tutors and their lecturers um but if they haven't been practising for the past 20 years, then it's really difficult um, for them to give them an honest perspective of what kind of is happening right now and at this particular moment in time. So I suppose, yeah, that's something that I feel is maybe missing, but also I think a slight need for us to get back to a point where I suppose education doesn't feel solely like a business because I think at the moment um, lots of lecturers and tutors find themselves in a position where they're asking okay how do we quantify the value of what we're being taught which I think is a very valid question but also at the same time um, I think there should be that space for enjoying just going through the process of learning and kind of being in dialogue being challenged or kind make of making mistakes
0: um, absolutely yeah. absolutely and yeah, also it's a creative mistakes. thing you know to like make yes. art <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they actually need to like make the art and that not be you know quantified whatever you know it's, it's absolutely. like yeah they need that space to experiment would yeah you
2: ever indulging in your like risk
1: a, yeah would you ever want to run like a a whole art space uh your associate director at the moment at gagosian and you've had all these roles at the Tate and you've been at the Barbican and you've worked with the Welcome Collection you're like killing it would you <laughs> is it is the dream to like run an education space for the arts or to run like a museum or a commercial gallery yourself
2: um i don't know actually i think interesting I think there are sometimes those fleeting thoughts that, oh, that could be really interesting um, in doing. But of course, there's also a lot of work which is involved in doing that. Um, So it could be something that I'm interested in doing in the future. Um, But I think I will always be led by, I suppose, how I suppose I'll, I'll be led by the most recent part of the journey, kind of that comes before that. But right now, I'm really excited to be in this position. In, I suppose being that, uh, I suppose. Uh, Anchor point or kind of connecting a London arts kind of ecosystem with the gallery that I work at but also yeah. thinking about the international community as well so I'm really excited to kind of be here and be in this role and see what we can do.
0: But in a way, like running an actual space on your own, say, becomes so much about admin again or like, yeah. or like you know, HR or like, you know, the bigger picture thing, which actually isn't that creative. I right. think it, it is creative in a sense, but not really. And, and I think like at the moment, you've got freedom, spontaneity, um, financial backing in a sense for your ideas, which is going to help so many people and you're really enjoying it. And there's something to be said about that spontaneity, I think. But that actually takes me on to something else. So you yourself are incredibly creative. Aside from curating and platforming and kind of um, lecturer, you know, facilitating and teaching and all of these things. But you're an amazing writer yourself and you've written a lot about art, but you also actually write poetry. And um, in 2021, you um, published a book of prose and poetry called Between Words and Space, um, which is very you. <laughs> um, uh, it was the perfect title. Why
1: didn't you um, call it you... liminal? Why didn't you call
0: it <laughs> It'd be too on the nose if I did that. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but can you talk a bit about that side of your life? Because I feel like that also informs the sensitivity you have yes. towards artists and why all of these amazing artists, because I know a lot of them and they're very sensitive people. Mm. And I feel like they have entrusted so much to you and given you great works as well. Like, you know, the Nengi and Muku work phenomenal. For is just one of the best I've ever seen. Yes, I agree. And I was thinking like, you know, that takes someone who obviously has a sensitivity and that's, I think, linked to your own creativity. Yeah,
2: um, I just... I suppose I'll say that I'm really grateful that the artists extended that trust to me also in that so many of the works in the show are new. um, So they also, we talked about risk a little bit earlier on that they also kind of took a risk in uh, sharing this new work and kind of in this context. So I'm, I always like to talk about gratitude and I extend a lot of gratitude to them all for that. Um, But yeah, I suppose in thinking about the writing or the poetry, I suppose all of that, I've always been, I think there are many things that influence that. So again, I think primarily about my heritage As somebody who is Yoruba and we have this thing called praise poetry. I think I think I think about a lot of my formative experiences, and that people often uh, just break out into. There's there's always like a a song, or perhaps there's always um, I suppose a a proverb. So kind of I think even the way that. My culture operates is very artistic. There's a heavy element of performance that is embedded in the Yoruba culture and tradition. So those are all the things which inform uh, the way in which I see the world. And very specifically with um, this this book, uh, I a lot of it started with kind of performance and film. So... Um, each chapter as such is bookended with this letter. And those letters came from uh during the during the pandemic, I had been watching a bunch of films, which films and music videos actually, which came from the African continent. And I would often take a still from that film or that music video. I'd post it, and then I would find um kind of an image of some historic or vernacular architecture, which was from the same region as where that film was shot or that music video was shot. And those two would be in conversation. And then next would come the letter, uh, which then became kind of the basis for this book of poetry. And so Mm. then it became this writing exercise of kind of me doing these 15-minute daily... um, dumps i suppose in kind of just free writing but in kind of reviewing all of those i found that they fit into these kind of very particular categories um and so that's kind of how we get that uh or this kind of collection of poetry and prose really
1: and there's 50 pieces in between words and space and do you ever perform these have you ever read them out loud to an audience
2: um no. Well I spoke oh, I don't know. Maybe. No. I'll say no.
1: I haven't. I haven't, no. Instead of reading something now for us.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> considering it's exclusive guys exclusive here, <laughs> and also for everyone listening who might be curious about this wonderful book you can buy it at waterstones or you know wherever you get your books i um, mean it's called between words and space by um Peju. okay
2: um okay as you've asked nicely i will read something <laughs> <Very> <laughs> Thank um you. i will read limbo um which is from the first chapter, I suppose, which is called It Begins. Um, and yeah, because we're, we're thinking about liminal space. <laughs> um, so Limbo. I am in limbo, the liminal, for my tongue is tied between a language that I understand but fail to speak. The trapped thoughts that travel from my brain to die a watery death in my esophagus. May be smothered by the combination of pounded jam and oven or soup, words that were never meant to meet the air of the day. Those words stay stale as my mind portrays me, the speech they expected me to speak, the tongue of my mother is that which chokes me now. I watch in silence like a thief, waiting for any opportunity to create sound, the raucous laughter, a disapproving car, a gentle mmm. Anything to let them know that although I cannot speak, I am one of them, and they have been heard by the one who resembles them, and so is familiar yet unknown.
0: Oh, I
1: love that. That's
0: beautiful. Thank so you. So that,
1: and you see, so you, you feel kind of stifled, not being able to express, not being able to speak. That's what I'm, I'm getting from that. That's quite a um, a hard one to hear, I guess.
2: Yeah. Um, So again, in thinking about this idea of diasporas, often a lot of people who live in the diaspora don't speak their mother tongue. And so it's kind of a conversation around that and that. I suppose, I suppose, for anyone who's learning a language, you might have a level of comprehension, but you become fearful of speaking it out loud because you feel like you sound stupid when you do it. So it's uh, kind of making reference to that um, in this idea that you you might be kind of in the street or in the market and you overhear somebody and it's like you're in a private joke so you'll laugh along, but you don't have the opportunity to respond in that language because you're still quite kind of unsure about how you sound or how you fit mm-hmm. in. So it's, I suppose, uh, taking those experiences and thinking about that um, and maybe a means of encouragement to, I suppose, rethink and regain or take Ownership of the language.
1: Will you read us another one?
2: Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: love
0: this. I love it that was so beautiful, by the way. It was that's, so that's beautiful. Wonderful. Like thank whew. you. So nice.
2: Um, I'm going to read one of the letters, which I kind of talked about, which kind of bookend the chapters. And so this one is called A Letter for the Lost. Dear Lost, it's tricky you're in the same place that I am but I can't quite put my finger on it we're in the middle of nowhere which is ironically somewhere I can't tell if I'm scared or a little thrilled as this unknowing points towards discovery my imagination runs ragged with the thought that this state is exactly that, imagined in reality I knew where I was all along it just looked different from your perspective
1: Mm. Love that. Lost. Lost feels like it's a you've given lost a personality or 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 you've fleshed out lost as it's like a, a, a figure or something that is sharing the world with you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it kind of does stay, doesn't it? It's um yeah. What does it mean to make this idea of being lost tangible? And it's kind of okay, you're here, I'm here, kind of this. Feeling of being lost exists internally, but it also exists kind of in, in surrounding you or you being encapsulated by this feeling of being lost. So, yeah, uh, I think there are so many expansive ways of looking at these things or, again, playing with the language to, um, I suppose, externalise all of these internal
1: feelings. I'm obsessed with you. This is amazing. Can I just ask? Can I ask something?
0: Listening to you, you read, the writing is so different to actually reading it. It's really interesting. And like... um, what, what 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 has writing provided you? Is it is it like a space for you to because it's obviously quite a solitary thing? Writing like it is making art, and we've spoken about that many times on the mm-hmm. show. But like, I was just really touched by that. Like, is it is it a space to like process grief or process because that, that to me was <coughs> I started thinking about grieving and things because I'm currently grieving somebody in my family. But but I don't know. It's like is that is that what writing kind of helps you with?
2: Um. <clears throat> yes, and also I'm really sorry for your loss. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes, I feel like we're constantly in a state of grief, we're constantly grieving, right? Because again, in this idea of uh, transition and uh, constantly moving or constant change, we're constantly letting go of yesterday, or we're letting go of a feeling that we've just felt. So it's kind of um, a continual process of grieving and learning how to deal with that. um, So that tomorrow can be a better tomorrow, so to speak. So it offers that space in processing those thoughts. Um, But also, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, let me go with that. It's offering a space to process a lot of those thoughts. Um, And again, an opportunity to be vulnerable, which I think so many of us are really scared of,
0: doing yeah
2: yes yeah yeah. Yeah. um doing being yes all of those things so uh I think once you extend that feeling or or kind of bear that openly Mm -hmm. it often offers other people a space to join you or I suppose reflect on the fact that they're not alone so I think it, it does multiple things really
0: yeah, and helps encourage others to be vulnerable themselves. Yeah. And to speak and to reach out and all those things. Yeah. I actually feel like that's what the podcast has been for us, actually, Ross.
1: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. No, you've Thank made you yourself vulnerable that. then. So, that was amazing. So,
0: yeah, seriously, that was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. We're very grateful. Thank you.
1: So how much longer is Rites of Passage, your curatorial debut, that is a huge success? How much longer is it on at the Gagosian? People can go and see it.
2: Um, it is on till the 29th of April. Um Fantastic. So, yeah, bring your kids, bring your partners, whoever,
1: come and see. <laughs> bring it. your parents, bring your, yes, friends, bring your family. <laughs> bring so, And what is next for Peja then? Now you've had this, this is your first curatorial show. Is, is there more in the pipeline? Are you in discussions at the gallery? Do you have other things outside that you're working towards? What can we look forward to seeing?
2: Um, so I suppose the things that we can look forward to seeing are there's going to be a book which is around the show so that's something to look forward to so have you written um,
1: for that as well have you written an essay for that
2: um I'm writing a tiny intro of sorts um which is yeah a sprinkling of things so there'll be that to look forward to which I'm really excited about um and then also I suppose I'll probably start planning my next show i don't know what it looks like just yet but yeah i suppose we'll start doing that at some point
1: how far off would that be how far off planning would you be doing a year or more or Ooh, less? I,
2: maybe less i mean what? i started working on this show in november so <laughs>
0: <gasps> really yeah that wow
1: great.
2: yeah so, and, and, um, and group
1: shows feel like, because, you know, group shows for me feel really exciting because you can bring in all these voices and create a dialogue in in a room. A Group shows are things that you feel like you're leaning towards more than concentrating on one artist or a duo show, for example.
2: Uh, I think I want to do a mix of it all, really. Um, I think, like you said, the group show is really exciting because you can have so many voices which um, are individual, but also in a way, singing from the same hymn sheet at the same time. Mm. So I'm, I'm really interested in continuing that kind of multi-voice dialogue. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of a mix of all.
1: But you're legit, and in 2021, you was also shortlisted for the Forbes 30 Under 30 in the <laughs> European <laughs> List of Arts and Culture category. So that is, <laughs> you're endorsed. You're the real deal. Also,
0: you, you two have a connection, which I don't know if you know about Russ. So, but, um, you were in a TV show called Being Human. Yeah. And um, Peiji worked on a show called Being Human at the Welcome Collection. Ah, it had that Larry Atchiampong in it. Yeah. dear friend. I remember seeing that title. Yeah, I'm thinking.
1: You know? I know.
2: Mm.
0: Okay, that's yes. so cool. Yeah, yeah, oh my yeah. god, that's Are you a, a great fan connection. Of sci-fi. Are you a fan of fi- sci-fi at all? I am. I really because I so. because Russell's show was slightly sci-fi. I don't even know if you saw that show. Slightly. More I was like, a
1: werewolf. I know you were. You were.
0: <laughs> you were a very remember. convincing oh, werewolf, okay.
1: right. darling. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Well, before we get on to our final questions, I just want to talk Wait, about... Wait, I want to oh. just
0: ask about sci-fi. Oh, okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> what kind of sci-fi are you into? Oh, my God.
2: I love speculative fiction. So, of course, like Black Mirror, but also... Um, have you seen Altered Carbon? No. Oh, my God. I love I it. I have heard of it. It's is it about great. dinosaurs? No, it's a um, it's show on Netflix, which I think is based on a book, actually. And it's this idea that... Um, I suppose, exploring these ideas of people living forever. So uh, I suppose the first, I think the first episode is a little bit weird. So it starts off with this th- these parents who walk into this police station and they're looking for their daughter who's apparently been hit by a car. And then this elderly woman runs out and it's like, Mom and dad, um, they're like, who are you? And she's like, it's me. And it's this idea that everyone has a stack, which is... I suppose, in the back of their neck. And so the body then becomes a sleeve uh, so it can be replaced. And so this this kid has been basically wrecked and um, they don't have enough money to replace her body as it is. So they've given her the body of like a 67-year-old. So now they've got this nine-year-old kid who's in a 67-year-old body. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, so. is
1: this is a documentary no <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's
0: intergenerational <laughs> intergenerational documentary <laughs> this is based on real life right <laughs> Wait, no. oh. probably um yeah, yeah so well, I'm actually of... you are a werewolf
2: so yeah i'm into stuff like that <laughs>
1: Love that! I'm great. glad
0: we answered that question. It's such a it's <laughs> such
1: a high low conversation. We've gone from like poetry and then to talk art. It's talk to, art. That this is, that's, is that's what we exist for. So, um, you are an associate of the Peckham Platform, which is uh, a Peckham centric arts project organisation. Are you based in Peckham? And what is it? What does it involve? Being an associate of the Peckham Platform? What is it?
2: Ah so Peckham platform uh so no I'm actually not from Peckham but I did go to school in Camberwell and I spent a lot of time in Peckham and so I was on their board of trustees which I've actually just stepped down from recently um but I think it's a really really brilliant organisation which I suppose, plays a really vital role, Um, again, in thinking about these ideas of gentrification and thinking about how much Peckham has changed um, over the past 15 years. I think an organisation such as Peckham Platform plays a really essential role in kind of bridging the past, but also the future. Uh, So making sure that the resident i mean they they've done so many amazing projects thinking about both young and old people so again it it is really quite intergenerational thinking about the programming but um yeah i'm really excited for what peck and platform will continue to do going forward which is going to be yeah absolutely phenomenal especially once the new space opens
0: up oh brilliant
1: Incredible. So we're going to get into our questions that we ask all of our guests. The first one is, if you could do an art heist, if you could have any artwork in the world for yourself, you could steal it nicely, what would it be and why?
2: (laughs) Um, Gosh, I I did have a think about this because I know that you ask everyone this question. Um, And the work that came to mind for me was um, Ellen Gallagher's Bird in Hand. Ooh. And I think, ooh. yes, <laughs> I like the collected, ooh, I like that, I like that a I lot. Love that. <laughs> I love, I love, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I love, yeah. Yeah, I love her work and I think the reason why I would go for that work is, again, based on place and space so that was one of the first artworks that when I started working at Tate in 2018 because she was the artist's rooms at the time uh, mm-hmm. so kind of I remember seeing that work and just kind of standing um, and actually I think I probably sat there I have a habit of sitting on gallery floors even if there aren't chairs um, and I remember just sitting there and just being in awe of that work so for me um thinking about Uh, that memory and I suppose uh, how the work made me feel Um, I'd like to be in the presence of that work uh, really often and live with it so yeah that's that's my choice.
1: Do you collect art?
2: Um, I have kind of started-ish yeah kind of started.
1: Can you say what sort of artists you have started collecting?
2: Um sure. So I have <laughs> oh. <laughs> um I have a Phoebe Boswell work. Oh, nice. Um I have a work by a really great young artist, Kobe Martin. Um also I have a work by it's a pencil drawing, so she's an American artist. Um the work was she did this really beautiful set of prints for the Whitechapel. Um, and it's uh it's called it's called Cradle, I think. And it's basically her and her daughter. And it's also a work by Makita Huja.
0: Amazing. Lovely. Uh the other question we ask every guest is what is your favourite colour?
2: I think it's obvious by now it's blue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but your instagram um there was a post where you said something like always blonde oh Um, yeah um, i thought maybe your favorite color would end up being blonde
2: no i mean it's a great color i'm just like yeah i'm I'm busy being blonde but also busy loving blue at the moment um i recently changed my profile picture to the cookie monster (laughs) i saw that
0: We actually have a, a work in the Margate show at the moment by Daisy Paris, and it's um, it's, it's fur that then they painted over it in blue paint, and um, they attached like a poem, um, and then it's green. Uh, paint that they attached the kind of canvas a poem onto the the fur and a friend of mine was like I love that work it's like the cooking monster I'm gonna send it to you <laughs> please do <laughs> no, I want to see it I really want to see it it's iconic
2: I love it I love that
1: <laughs> what is the best advice you have ever received when it comes to your career
2: oh the best advice that I have received I think the advice was the or kind of the yeah it was that the worst thing anyone can say to you is no, Um, kind of. So you might as well just ask because, yeah, if they say no, what else is going to happen, you know? Um, And I think that's a great way to think about things. And then the other thing was, uh, oh, I don't remember anymore, so that means it's not important. Let's stick with that. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: an amazing one. I love it.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's true. The worst thing that can happen is someone says no, so you may as well just go for it. That's yeah. great advice, Peju. This has been uh, an amazing hour chatting with you. Thank you. We adore you so amazing. so much. And
0: congratulations on rites of passage. I think it's a thank really you. monumental show. It's extraordinary. Yeah, everybody get along. And, and it really seat, is yeah. highlighting so many artists that many people might not even know yet, and they really need to be heard and seen and known. So, thank yes. you. Thank and, you. And um, for everyone listening, where can they find you? You're on Instagram. I am. As the Cookie Monster. As the Cookie Monster. <laughs> <laughs> so Visiting don't be blonde, scared,
2: it's yeah. me. <laughs> yeah.
0: what's, your, what's your handle?
2: Um, so my handle is at Peju Ocean, which is
0: P-E-J-U-O-S-H-I-N. For November. Also, you have an amazing website where your book is also available. And I know yes. you've, you're like a bestseller on Amazon for your poetry and prose, so Congrats. respect for that. Before you go... Go to PejuOshin.com, isn't it? Yes. Before
1: you go, what is an exhibition that people should be, as well as your one, of course, should be going to see right now? Oh,
2: an exhibition that people should be going to see right now. I would say oh my gosh uh it was I'd say Frida oh my gosh sorry I can't uh
0: Frida
1: Ruper yes yes
2: yes 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 I would definitely say to go and see that that's a brilliant show I went to go and see it last week uh and really really love the works I think they just feel so nostalgic um yeah i i just really enjoyed it it's quite fun um but also really beautiful as well i love the way that uh the works have been displayed so i would definitely say that
0: people should go and visit that show too it's a good place to end the interview on because nostalgia is often linked to liminality <gasps> deep deep yeah deep. <laughs> the high, the high low guys the high low <laughs> you heard it here Peju, thank you for being thank so you generous. So much. And um for, for also reading your poetry Yes, 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 yes. That was very special. It was a very, treat. Um so we will be back very soon, everyone. Thank you for Take listening. Care. Um make sure you go to Gogosian on Britannia Street and see Peju's curated show. Bye Peu. Bye. 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 Bye.